eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED lights, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast, show number 30. You don't put your family last. You don't put your health last. What's significant comes first. So the foundation of the Profit First formula is sales minus profit equals expenses. Every time there's a transaction, we take a predetermined percentage of that income that flows into the business, allocate it as profit, hide it from the business, and run the business off the remainder. Welcome to a real world MBA from the School of Hard Knocks, where entrepreneurs reveal what it really takes to make it. Whether you're already in business or you're on your way there, this show is for you. This is Bigger Pockets Business. Hey there, everybody. I am Jay Scott, your co host for the Bigger Pockets Business Podcast. I am here again this week with my amazing, lovely, and beautiful wife, Mrs. Carol Scott. How are you doing today, Carol? I'm doing great, but honey, you are always so incredibly kind. You're the one who is so amazing and supportive and absolutely awesome. And I appreciate you tremendously. And listeners, here's something jaded. I'm not going to ramble about it forever, but I have a new little business venture going on. You'll hear about it another time. He found an incredibly perfect office space, and we just were able to start working out of there this morning. So really good times all the way around. So congratulations on that. And I'm looking forward to having a whole episode about your new business. But, but we're not talking about that now because we're talking about our awesome, like seriously, people, this guest is absolutely over the top, awesome and incredible. Sorry, just had to get it in, Jay. Couldn't help myself. No, I agree. This is somebody that I've wanted to talk to since the beginning of this podcast. He is one of my favorite business authors out there. His name is Mike Michalowicz. He is the author of books such as The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, uh, The Pumpkin Plan, and one of my favorite business books of all time, a book called Profit First. And on this episode, we talk all about a lot of the learnings and teachings and and just the thesis behind this idea of profit first and how as new business owners, we shouldn't be waiting until the third month or the third year, or the 10th year of our business to be making profits. We should be profiting in our business literally from day one. And Mike gives us a whole bunch of amazing actionable tips on how we can start profiting in our business from day one. He walks us through the specific steps we need to take today to get our business on track 
and start reducing the headaches that a lot of us experience in our business day to day. Absolutely amazing episode. I am positive you're going to love it. If you want more information about the things we talk about in this episode or access to some of the links for these things, check out our show notes at biggerpockets.com slash bizshow30. Again, that's biggerpockets.com slash bizshow30. Now, without any further ado, let's jump into our discussion with Mike Michalowicz. And let's welcome Mike Michalowicz to the show. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing well, Jay. Thanks for having me. Hi, Carol. Hi, thank you so much for being here. We are such fans and we love your books and we are so excited to dig into them more and hear what you have to say. So thanks again for being here. Yeah. My joy. Yeah, Carol knows that this is an interview I have been waiting a long time to do. I've been a big fan of yours for many years. I love your books. I love your your outlook on business in general. So this is really exciting. But I know that we have a bunch of listeners out there that may not be familiar with you. So I would love to give them the opportunity to learn a little bit more about you, how you came to write your books. You're the author of several books, including uh, The Toilet Paper Entrepreneur, The Pumpkin Plan, and the one that we'll probably focus most on today, Profit First. Uh, Mm -hmm. Can you give us a little bit of background as to how you became a business expert and author on, on all topics business? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is entrepreneurial. I've been an entrepreneur my entire adult life. And uh, what's interesting is I, I had the, the blessing of building and selling a couple companies early on. Uh, I had a Fortune 500 exit. I had a private equity exit. And uh, what's interesting is not that. I think what's interesting is what immediately came after it. I, I thought I was Midas. Everything I touched turned to gold, you know, and was chock full of arrogance, complemented with ignorance. And um, started a third business as an angel investor, sucked at it. I had no right to be in that space. Uh, I invested in disparate businesses all over the place. They did not complement each other. Golden rule number one as an angel investor, don't do that. And uh, I wiped out all my wealth, my family's wealth, everything. Uh, And uh, I had to come home to my wife and three children and tell them that I I wiped out our wealth. And we lost our house as a result. We lost uh, our possessions, our cars. Did not declare bankruptcy, but but probably have been the most prudent thing to do. I, I decided to dig my own way out. I think the interesting part is that there's that saying, if you had all the money in the world, what would you do? Which I dreamed one day, oh, I'd be an author if I had all the money. When you have no money, there's a complimentary question saying, what's the vocation you want to do uh, now that you have nothing? And if the vocation lines up with the dream, well, that's a calling to me. And I said, you know, I want to be an author and I'm going to find a path to be of great impact as an author, but also to make a living this way. And so 11 years ago, that's when this all went down. I uh, became an author. One last thing, it wasn't like the next morning after losing all my money and telling my family I lost everything. It wasn't like the next morning I woke up and said, oh, I'm an author now. Uh, I became a drinker first, uh, was super depressed, started to hit the bottle a lot to self-medicate and went through about two years of functional depression. I self-diagnosed, but a high level performing depression, but depression nonetheless. But it also became this turning period for me that I I didn't really understood how entrepreneurship worked. I definitely did not know how to master profit. We'll be talking about that today. Didn't know about business efficiency. I thought you had to carry the business on your back, all these kind of misbeliefs. And uh, every book I've written since has been to dispel my own misunderstandings about entrepreneurship. I devote five to six years researching each book. So uh, even though I produce books now pretty frequently, I have three more books in the work that I'm researching out right now that won't come out for three to five more years. And um, I hope to simplify entrepreneurship. In fact, that's my mission. 
is to make entrepreneurship simple. My vision is, if that's different than mission, is to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty, this gap of perceived success and the reality of struggle. I want to close that gap by making entrepreneurship simple. So that's why I am. I'm a full-time small business author. I love that. That is really great. And I'm I'm very grateful that you were just really raw and transparent there and shared what happened to you, what you said 11 years ago when, when yeah. you had to shut down your companies and you lost your house and, yeah. and you were in depression and you were drinking and so on and so forth. Because there's so many of us as entrepreneurs that I think we all go through similar things on different levels, right? And maybe not everybody to that level, but I think that we all go through those failures at some level. And unfortunately, on the outside, people just see, oh, what's the problem? You're running your own business. You're your own yeah. boss. What's the, how hard can this be? Right? So thank you for being so open and honest about just the reality of the journey that we all face together. I think that's really, you're brilliant. welcome. I, you, you know, what's funny, Carol, to your point is, uh, the outside world, the perception is so different than the reality. And this isn't true just for the everyday entrepreneurs, but you know, I look at these, the Inc magazine and the cover is Elon Musk or Sarah Blakely or whoever the person is today. And uh, what what disheartens me is we start to believe that is what entrepreneurship is. And to be successful, you better grow a billion dollar company. And if you haven't, wah, wah, you, you kind of blew it. That's not the reality. I, I would consider those folks as extraordinary as their success is, really, I think they're lottery winners. They're very smart people. They're very capable. They, they have to have extraordinary talent, but also they're in the right place at the right time with the right message. And that played into their favor. I know countless entrepreneurs who I'd argue as driven, as devoted, as intelligent as the ones we see on the cover of the magazines, but their businesses may not become a billion dollar organization. It may be a 1 million or a 5 million or 10 or whatever, but I, I want to make sure that we attribute just as much to success in not just what we see on the cover of magazines, but in these more ordinary businesses. They're to me just as successful. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I think a large portion of that is we grow up revering and idolizing these billionaires, these people that we look at that have so yeah. much money. And I think a lot of us don't realize it until we actually become entrepreneurs ourselves before we start running our own businesses that, yeah, that's great. Those people have achieved tremendous success, but there's a huge price to pay for that. And a lot of us get into entrepreneurship. We become business owners, not because we want to make a billion dollars, but we because we want to provide for our family, because we want the lifestyle, because we want to be able to, in, in Carol, in my case, we, we left our corporate jobs uh, 11 years ago with the goal of being able to put our family first, never missing the soccer game, never missing the piano recital. I love it. And for us, we'll never be billionaires because honestly, I don't have that motivation. I'd retire long before I was a billionaire. But the fact that I can run and Carol and I can run a business and grow a business and support our family and put our family first, that's the goal for us. And so I think that's a, it's a really important message for entrepreneurs out there or want to be entrepreneurs out there that becoming a billionaire or the money in and of itself isn't necessarily the goal. And it's, it's, everybody has to think about what their goal is. And, and in many cases, it's not the money. You know, Sam Walton's dying words purportedly was, I blew it. So Sam Walton, as he passed away in his hospital bed, surrounded by family that he did not know because he was working grueling hours, a wife that was there more out of, think, of convenience than for affection. He says, he looked at his family and said, I blew it. I mean, is that our definition of success? To work so hard that you leave a business behind that you've also ignored a family to grow? I don't know. I, I don't know. 
And it's a choice. But if Sam Walton was indicating what he deemed a success, it was a failure in that regard. I believe now that the right size business will find us. Uh, I, I did have an aspiration of, of having that billion dollar company, but it was arbitrary. I was in my 20s, I started business, like, I'm going to be a billionaire. And I attributed a lot of value in a number. As I've matured, uh, and hopefully as some wisdom's kicked in, um, I realize a number is, that's all it is, it's it's a number. I think the greater thing we can do is have impact on others, our community, our environment, our, our world. And I think we have the greatest tool at our disposal, which is entrepreneurship. I think it's the greatest tool to affect change beyond government, I think is entrepreneurship. And with that, I think the right size business can find us. I don't know if maybe a billion dollar business is in my future because that is the best way to be of service. Or maybe it's a few million, or I don't know what the number is, but I do know that the right size business will settle in with me. And to know it is, am I having impact? Am I experiencing joy? And those two components, I think, will define what the right size business is. I love that. That's great. So and I, I love that you define the success in the right size in those terms. So in your whole overarching goal of impacting other entrepreneurs in making sure that they are successful and paving the way and giving them the tools and so on, how how are you going to help them? So which led you to write Profit First? What is the whole overall thesis of this book and how it lays such a different mindset shift for entrepreneurs so that they can be successful? So yeah, yeah, money, as we know, it is a really important vehicle. And I am not, uh, as I say, it's important to have impact. It's not about size. I am not disqualifying the importance of profitability. Listen, I've been totally broke and I've been wealthy. And I'll tell you, wealthier is the better side, at least from my experience. It's a little bit more fun. There's a lot more flexibility. There's no question about it. And there's a lot less stress. So I believe that entrepreneurs need that. Here's the great irony, Carol and Jay. I would say everyone watching the show or listening in right now has started their business probably for one, probably two reasons. One reason is they're doing something I hope that brings them joy. It's, it's something that they feel called to do. It's the town of theirs. They're excited about it. So it's the freedom of that experience. But the other element often is for financial freedom. Like we start our businesses to make money so that we don't have to worry about paying bills so we can life, live life the way we define it. Sadly, most business owners, the two reasons we start our business never come true. Many business owners are lamenting their business. I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm so exhausted from this. And I have no money. In fact, I blew all of my savings. So we're impoverished and we don't like what we do. Profit First addresses the first element that we need to tackle. We need to get financial viability to a business. Now, here's the irony. I believe that almost any business that has some degree of recurring income sales, like you're making some sales, even if they're sporadic, but you're making it year in, year out, you're making some sales, there's profitability baked in there that we simply need to extract. I also believe that the formula we've been told on how to become profitable is actually the thing hurting us. It's not our inability to become profitable. It's the formula we follow, which is sales minus expenses equals profit. It's the foundational formula. It's called GAP, Generally Accepted Accounting Principles been taught for years. And it's become so popular. It's in our vernacular. We call profit the bottom line or the year end. All things indicating it's the last consideration in the business's financial formula, which means it gets unaddressed or ignored. I mean, 
when something comes last, it means it's insignificant. Like you would never say, oh, we love each other more, so much. That's why we put each other last. Like you would, hopefully you'd never say that. Maybe when you're pissed at each other, but otherwise, no. Like you don't put your family last. You don't put your health last. What's significant comes first. So the foundation of the profit first formula is sales minus profit equals expenses. Every time there's a transaction, we take a predetermined percentage of that income that flows into the business, allocate it as profit, hide it from the business, and run the business off the remainder. I love that. And here's the interesting thing about that is I went to business school, I've started businesses, I advise businesses, and the more I learn about business, the more I read in business, the more things get complicated. Every book is about, here's how you can do things better. Here's cash flow management and here's financial statements. And the more you learn, the more complicated things get. And basically what you're telling us is it's not getting more complicated. It shouldn't be about getting more complicated. It's exact opposite. It's about how do we make this even simpler than we've ever thought about business? How do we make this more simple than accountants think about business and more simple than than other business owners think about business because ultimately, like you said, it's about the profit. So now, now that we've agreed profit's most important and we want to put profit first, the question becomes, well, as a business owner, how do I do that? Well, this the simple thing to do is to not change yourself. That's the key to this. So profit first is a behavioral-based cash management system. It's not an accounting system. It complements or works with any accounting. It's a cash management system. It's basically how do we manage the flow of money? And the simplest thing to do is to observe an existing behavior and then channel that behavior to get the outcome you want. In other words, don't try to change who you are or how you behave. That's actually very hard. Instead, observe how you behave and then channel to an outcome you want. A classic example is this. Like if, if, if you want to exercise, uh, and I now do regularly, I found the hack. I used to say, get first thing in the morning and go work out. And then it was raining today. I'm like, oh, I don't want to go work out. Or it's always a reason not to do it. Until I did one thing that intercepted my behavioral path. Every time I get up in the morning, first thing I do is go into the restroom, the bathroom. Go in the bathroom. I have sitting on my uh, the toilet seat my gym shoes. So now I cannot use my bathroom without grabbing and holding on my gym shoes, which is the first step. So I have to. So today I went out and did my run in the rain. As much as I was lim- didn't want to do it, the first step was done. At least I have the shoes in my hand. Well, then at least let me put them on. Well, now that they're on, I might as well go for a quick run and whatever, get it done. With our finances, I've been studying, uh, I can't even count how many businesses and how entrepreneurs behave. Most entrepreneurs, the vast, vast majority, do not use their accounting statements. They don't read their income statement. They don't read the balance sheet. In fact, many of them don't know how to read a cash flow statement, and I'm one of them. I do not know how to read a cash flow statement effectively. And yet we're told you got to know all those things to manage your business. What I found is most entrepreneurs follow a different path. Their walk to the bathroom is they go right into their income or bank account. They log in. They see if they have money. If they do, they spend it. And if they don't, they they panic. It, it, it is what I call bank balance accounting. See if I have money or not. Therefore, profit first, I set it up to intercept that path. We need to have accounts set up at our bank. So now when you log into your bank, you have multiple accounts indicating different purposes. We call the five foundational. You have an income account for your deposits. You have a profit account to pay the shareholders, the people that invested or started the business. You have an owner's compensation account. That's to pay for what's called the owner operator, the people who work within the business. Then the owner that works within the business. Then a tax account to reserve for your tax liability. We talked about financial freedom. The biggest bill for almost every single business uh, that I know is actually the tax bill. 
And yet we're not prepared for that. We're caught off guard. Oh my gosh, I owe how much? Well, the business can, regardless of the formation of business you have, the business can pay your taxes. There's different strategies on how to do it if you have an S Corp or C Corp, but it can. And then the last account is OpEx. What happens now, money flows in your business. We allocate money to these different accounts based upon percentages. And now you continue the same behavior you always have. You log into your bank account, but instead of seeing one account and seeing if you have money or not, now you have multiple accounts that tell you the intended use of the money before you spend it. So you start controlling the use of those funds. And not to minimize this, but it sort of sounds like what we teach our kids. You get some money and you put it in your spending bucket, you put it in your saving bucket, you put, put it in your charity bucket. And you're basically, that's how we teach kids how to how, how to, to use their money and think about money. And basically what you're saying is we as adults, um, we may know business or we may think we know business, but a lot of business is just behavioral psychology. And we need to, to train ourselves the same way we train our kids to think about buckets of money in our business. I love that. Jay, you nailed it. Nailed it. That's exactly what this is. This is the envelope system. You know, the funny thing is this methodology has been around for eons. So there's books like Richest Man Babylon, Think and Grow Rich, you know, the, the modern versions, Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. The, the books and this concept has been around for eons of divide money up before it's used so you know what it's intended for and you stay within the confines of its allocation. I'm just a guy who says, this applies to business too. It's not just personal finances. And we can do this at our bank. So how about how about for those entrepreneurs that say, okay, great, I have five buckets, I allocate my money uh, appropriately, but isn't it really easy for me to just kind of transfer money from one account to another and steal it and kind of go go <laughs> behind my own back? And I, I know this is a leading question because you address this in the book, uh, but there's yeah. a lot of people out there who are thinking, yeah, I've tried this system, um, but it's too easy to just kind of rob the rob the uh, the the cookie jar and and yeah. Yeah, it totally is super easy uh, and therefore dangerous. You know, that's when this system becomes a glorified shell game. We start moving money to different accounts, but then we say, well, I'm not really using a physical account transfer here. I would, uh, what I share in the book is there is two accounts in particular that we really need to protect from ourselves. One is the profit account because profit money we're going to allocate in there. Profit gets distributed to shareholders, but not daily. It gets distributed usually on a quarterly basis. So that money will pile up. And it happened to me very quickly. I started this uh, 11 years ago, right? This was one of the first things I did after I started experiencing depression was I knew I had to get my arms around the financials. So I implemented and started the first flavor of this. Well, once I did it, money started accumulating small amounts, but money was accumulating in my profit account. And uh, one day I couldn't pay my bills. So I kind of looked around and said, oh, I got money in the profit account. Let me borrow from that. And the second I did that, I never paid it back. I unwound the entire system. So I found I needed to protect myself from myself. So what you do is you set up some more accounts. Now, I'm always afraid of saying this because people start saying, this is such overwhelm at so many accounts. What's my bank going to say? My account. Don't worry about this. The, the setup for Profit First can take maybe an hour, one time, one hour of your entire life, and the rest of your life will be consistent profitability. It is worth the investment of time and the iota of aggravation. What you do is you find a second bank. So I work with my primary bank. I love them. I have those five accounts there. I set up two more accounts. I call them holding accounts at my secondary bank. So I have a profit hold and a tax hold. When money gets allocated out at my first bank, I then invoke a transfer from bank one to bank two. Those transfers can take three or four days, but once the transfer is done now, it's out of sight and out of mind. The idea for that second bank is to make it as inconvenient as possible. So uh, 
well, we did our office. We actually use an online bank. So there's online banking, which if you can avoid that, maybe that's a good approach. So you don't even see the numbers. But so I can't log into it. We have one person here at the office, it's me, that has the password, another person who has the rotating code for the account. Uh, so there's like this little uh, thing you get that has numbers that appear every 30 seconds, new numbers. You got to enter your passcode and those numbers. But it's with another person. So for me to access our profit account, once money's in there, it's impossible unless the other person gives me the code. It's like, it's like the nuclear system. Like, you know, two people got to turn the keys simultaneously. <laughs> that money is so inaccessible. I just don't even think about it. I don't even worry about it. I know there's profit there and I'm excited when it will come out to me as a shareholder in the future. But I work within the confines of what's truly available. My lifestyle lives off of the owner's compensation because I'm an owner operator. I work within my business and the business's lifestyle lives off the OPEX. So, so I, I need to point out something really quick. I'm sorry. I apologize for cutting you off, Carol, but I find this fascinating because I know there are a lot of people out there who are saying, yeah, these five buckets are great. In theory, I should definitely be thinking about my business that way and I can treat my business that way, but I'm not a little kid. I've had a business for several years. I don't really need to implement five buckets. It's just a good way of thinking about things. But here we are, you, the person that actually wrote this book that has sold two companies in the seven, eight figure range that is building more companies that advises businesses. And this is literally what you're doing in your business today. It, you're not, oh, you're yeah. not taking shortcuts. So it, it, anybody out there that's listening, don't think you're too big or too mature. Your business is too mature or you're too good to be using these techniques because literally- Well, yeah, we, we got a public company doing this now. Now it's a pink slip. Sure. It's not like, you yeah. know, Ford, uh, but we have a, a true public company doing this. We have over 300,000 companies doing this. It is a normal response to say, this is too easy or it's too simple or it's too childish or it won't work for me. I get it. I actually had that exact same skepticism. But being in business the, the 12 years prior to implementing the system, I was never profitable. I grew those companies and I sold them. They were never profitable. I was lucky in retrospect to sell those businesses. Selling a company is a rarity. So profitability is what we need to achieve. And, and a little tip here, if you have a business that's consistently profitable, the valuations, if you ever do sell a business, skyrocket because an acquirer wants a profitable business. The shortcuts are a danger. So of our 300,000 businesses successfully doing it, sadly, there's probably hundreds of thousands of businesses that have failed. And we know some of their stories. And uh, one of them is trying to take shortcuts. They say, you know what? I'll do this in my spreadsheet. I don't need to set up these multiple accounts. I'll just track this in a spreadsheet. I just want everyone to know you already have a spreadsheet. It's called your accounting system. It's a glorified spreadsheet. And actually all stuff is already tracked. It's called the chart of accounts. So your business is actually dividing up the money if you're managing the accounting properly into not just these five buckets, probably into 50 buckets, all different allocations. So you already have that system. So the simple question is, how is it serving you? But based upon your active use of your accounting system, are you profitable? And most people I talk to say, not at all. They say, well, how often do you use your accounting system? I say, I don't. I, I go to my bank and see if I have money or not. That's your natural pathway. So if you're not doing your accounting system, you're not going to do a spreadsheet. Our natural path is in the moment, particularly under pressure, log into the bank account and say, do we have the money or not? We need it there under those pressure moments. It needs to be right there and it needs to intercept our patterns. Very cool. And I love also how you are you are getting is is tangible and tactile as as putting these other accounts in a place where not only do you have to physically go visit that bank if you wanted to access them, but also to even find out any specific information about them, you have to go through another entire person, right? Because you're just like, oh, I don't even want to let uh, to let Mike Jr. know that I even have to even have to like 
go down this road, right? So it just puts right. another whole psychological barrier to even accessing that in the first place. So what is, what do you recommend to business owners for this profit bucket? What is that number? Is it like 10%, 20%, 30%? What do you recommend we allocate for that to build the business out? Yeah, I suggest start slow and let it grow. So of the businesses, we have lots of case studies around this too. The businesses that went in full throttle. So in Profit First, the book, I specify different allocation targets based upon revenue ranges. So we conducted a study of about a thousand of what I call the fiscally elite companies. They're industry agnostic, all different industries. These were the best performing companies. And, you know, it's everything from a small business, $250,000 in revenue or less, maybe a micro business, to businesses doing 50 million or more. And I, and we analyzed everything in the entire range. And what we found is when a business has not been historically profitable, they go in, they implement the system. It may say, you know, your target is 20% profit. So maybe you have a million dollar business, you should be saving $200,000 a year and paying yourself another 300,000 and reserving, because now you're taking 200,000 profit, 300,000 in owner's compensation, another, you know, 150 or 200 or 300 in, in, in taxes and the little, you know, 100,000 or 200,000 left to operate the business. If you're a million dollar business that's never been profitable and you make that abrupt of a change, that will destroy your business. I, do not do not start off with the end game, the target. Instead, we say, start slow and let it grow. If you've never been profitable before, meaning the business has not given you a cash distribution, this is not an accounting profit. Listen, Enron was profitable until the day they went under, right? So accounting, those numbers can be played with to some degree. Uh, I'm talking about cash, cold, hard cash profit. If you've not taken out cash bonus distributions above some kind of salary distribution, and it's been zero in the past, we're going to start off with 1%. Start slow. And uh, now if $1,000 comes in, I'm saying take 10 bucks of $1,000, put it into a profit account. That's 1%. You won't even feel the impact because you can run your business off 1000 You can run your business off of $990. But what will start happening is you'll start having this confidence saying, oh, there's some profit accumulating. There's actual cold, hard cash there waiting for me. I can take this money out. Then a month later, you may grow to 2% and 3%. And maybe maybe it takes a year and a half. Maybe it takes some businesses up to two years to go into a full implementation of Profit First at the full percentages. But if you start slow and let it grow, you'll likely have success. Yeah, I like that. And the other thing by building up, every business is going to have different level of margins. And if if you're running a 50% margin business, it's easy to put away 10 or 20% without killing your business. If you're a Walmart and you're running a three and a half, four percent margin business and you put away 10%, you're going to be in trouble. So so kind of building, starting at that 1% and building up to, to a point that becomes natural makes sense. Yeah. Kind of like that concept of the right size business finds you, yep. the right profits will find you, but they're inevitably much higher than most people imagine they could be. Before we move on to the next part of our show, let's hear from one of our show sponsors. Real estate investing is known for a lot of things, mainly making a very select group of people a whole lot of money. But being an online cutting-edge experience is usually not one of those hallmarks. Well, thanks to Fundrise, that's no longer the case. Fundrise is the future of real estate investing. Their revolutionary model is transforming the industry, thanks to their software, which cuts out the costly middlemen and removes old market inefficiencies. Fundrise delivers the kind of investing power you typically only see at the big institutions and can now bring real estate's unique potential for long-term growth and cash flow to individual investors like us. Getting started is simple and usually takes less than five minutes. 
When you invest with Fundrise, you'll be instantly diversified across dozens of real estate projects, each one carefully vetted and actively managed by Fundrise's team of real estate professionals. Then you can use their intuitive investor dashboard and real-time reporting system to monitor the progress of each property in your portfolio. Now that's the future of real estate investing. So are you ready to get started? Then visit Fundrise.com slash BP business. That's F-U-N-D-R-I-S-E dot com slash BP business. And you'll get the first three months of fees waived. Again, that's Fundrise.com slash BP business. Believe it or not, the world isn't built for entrepreneurs and small business owners like us. Sometimes it seems like there's no end to the hurdles we face while starting, maintaining, and growing our businesses. Finding smart tools to make running your business easier is crucial, which is why I'm here to tell you all about FreshBooks. FreshBooks is accounting software specifically designed for small businesses. It organizes and streamlines time-consuming bookkeeping and accounting tasks, allowing you to do things like create and send branded invoices in just 30 seconds, set up credit card payments right on your invoices to get paid twice as fast, and export tidy reports for expenses, invoice details, and sales tax to make working with your accountant to tax time a breeze. FreshBooks customers say they save an average of 192 hours a year. Imagine what you could do with that extra time. Right now, we're offering our listeners a free 30-day trial of FreshBooks, no credit card required. So just go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Again, go to freshbooks.com and enter Bigger Pockets Business in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Okay, so reassure us here, because I know there are plenty of people out there who are thinking to themselves, okay, this is great, this idea of putting the profit away first, but what about those business owners who are sitting here thinking right now, I put away the profit, I now don't have enough income to grow my business. I need X dollars to actually grow my business and hit my targets for next year, but if I'm putting away profit first, I have X minus or X times 50%. How do I grow my business? Yeah, that's my favorite question. It's the most common question I get. And I, I'll share a case study around that in a second. I think that may bring some light to this. Here's the fascinating results we found, that businesses that take their profit first are outpacing, on average, their industry contemporaries. These businesses that take more profit are growing faster than their contemporaries, which sounds confounding. Like, how could that be? They don't have money to put back into the business. But what happens is when you take your profit first, you have to be much more critical of your spend because there's less money to spend. So then we start looking for what's called true ROI. Are we actually going to get a result? A lot of people throw around the term ROI. Yeah, return on investment. And they just, there's playing games in their head. But now there's less to spend. You have to say, if I put a dollar here, will it result in $3 in 60 days or 90 days or whatever? So the measurables become much more targeted and specific. There's the Pareto principle or the 80-20 rule basically says 20% of the activities you do yield 80% of your results. When you take your profit first off the table, you got to identify hard and true what those 20% are that are driving your growth. And then you concentrate your efforts there and it facilitates faster growth. Here's from a practical example. I got a, a baseball card from a guy named Jesse Cole. He's the founder of a baseball team, uh, minor league, all-star, not, not majors. And they said, we want to thank you for profit first. It's changed our business and it's changed our industry. Uh, the baseball team, you got to Google these guys later. It's called the Savannah Bananas, best name ever. And uh, 
they started implementing profit first. And they said, when we ran this, we really realized we couldn't afford to operate our business the way we were. We don't even know if we could afford the electricity for the scoreboard, right? And so I'm like, wow, uh, you got to pay for that, right? No. He says, what it did is it forced our business to innovate. We realized that people are coming to our games mostly for entertainment. It's minor league baseball. The average game gets about 30, I'm sorry, about 300 attendees. And uh, so there's very little flow. He says, we can't afford the scoreboard. So we cut off the scoreboard and um, we went to the old manual system. We also realized that when it came to the games, people want the entertainment. We can't afford the entertainers. So we're going to teach our baseball players to be the entertainers. And so the first practice you have at Savannah Bananas baseball camp is not how to throw better, how to catch better. It's actually how to line dance on your first day. Fast forward, uh, by implementing this, Savannah Bananas has become probably the most innovative baseball team you've ever experienced. They are extraordinarily profitable on a percentage basis, uh, by far more than any baseball team, including majors. They're that profitable. And they get four to 5,000 people at every single game. They're the only team in history who sold out four consecutive seasons, every single game, packed seats, not, not ticket sales alone, actual attendance sellouts for every single game. He, Jesse pins a lot of it back to profit first. First, you focus on your profit, then you'll reveal what's truly available and you must work within the confines of what's available. The opportunity for growth is not an investment, it's an innovation, breaking the rules, changing industry standards. And it was the lack of money that forced that innovation. Very cool. And what I think is just fascinating about that is when you're operating in those confines that you can only spend what's available and nothing else. What it's forcing you to do, like the Savannah Bananas did, it's forcing you to get innovative, creative, and really use the resources that you do have, which are human resources, right? So you're getting really creative. You're doing different things that ultimately are going to surprise and delight your customers. They're going to be that you're really building out that human connection, really building out that customer experience. So ultimately you're going to grow. So it's almost is, is counterintuitive, as counterintuitive as it is to do it this way. You're growing your business in a whole different way by going down these different avenues, being forced to do it and being really clever about it. Right? Yes. It's, it's often easier to spend our way to a solution as opposed to think our way to a solution. Yet thinking our way to that solution is far, far more impactful. Spending is just the easy answer, but doesn't always bring the right answer either, right? We can, we spend arbitrarily. So by restricting the flow of money, we have to think more, we have to be more disciplined in making the right decisions. And then now money fuels it to, uh, to explosive success in many cases. Yeah. That's really cool. Cause I, like you said, it is, it's so easy to just throw money at a problem. Every time oh, you yeah. say, I'll just throw cash at that and see what happens. Right. But it's exactly. not necessarily, it's the quickest and easiest, but not necessarily the best. I think that's huge. Yeah. So what about business owners um, that have debt? What are, what, are your, what are your thoughts on debt and how we as business owners can handle debt? And how should we be thinking about debt differently than, than is, is common wisdom? Yeah. So if you have debt, you're not alone. The vast majority of business owners do have debt. I'm a big proponent for eradicating debt. There's only very unique circumstances I think we can leverage debt to our advantage, but it's a rarity. The first thing, we, we need uh, a strong financial foundation, and it's by eradicating debt. The process is this. The only way to eradicate debt is through profit. A lot of people say, I can't be profitable until I'm out of debt. And the answer is actually, you must be profitable to get rid of debt. So what debt is, just to be on the exact same page, debt's an expense we incurred in the past that we couldn't or chose not to afford. 
So we incurred it. We used money from another resource, friends, family, borrowed from the credit card company, whoever it is. Then fast forward to today, we only can pay off those past expenses that someone else has incurred for us by making more money than we're spending today, which is profit. You have to make more money than you're currently spending in order to repay the past past debt. So you have to, that's called profit. If you make, if you make more money than you spend, that's called profit. So you need to implement profit first if you have debt. What we do though in this circumstance is as money piles in that profit account, we service the debt as best we can through our ongoing operating expenses. So say I have a debt of $50,000 and the monthly to maintain that, that's $500 a month. That's the, excuse me, the minimum payment. So out of the OPEX account, we're now paying the 500 or anything else we can scrap up. But when we get to their quarterly profit distributions, we take that money out for shareholder benefit. The first thing actually is the majority of that money goes to whack that debt. So maybe seven or $8,000 is piled up in that profit account. We're going to take of that, say $8,000, we're going to take eight, uh, 7,800 and crush that debt and really take a chunk out of it while we're still maintaining it for the OPEX. A little of it still goes to the shareholder. And this is an important but significant caveat is the shareholder must still experience a reward. A lot of businesses, the business is simply paying off bills, constantly serving debt and so forth, and the owner never benefits. Over a period of time, the owner starts to resent their business. We start to hate our business. Like I, I, All I do is I'm selling to pay expenses. This is killing me. So we need to experience that reward because it's a dopamine response. So what we're going to do is take the majority of the profit, crush the debt, a little portion of it goes to celebrate. So you go out for a nice dinner or whatever. And we repeat this pattern over and over until the debt's fully eradicated. Once the debt's fully eradicated, you've also built the profit allocation muscle. You're allocating money toward profit, allocating toward profit. But Now in this case, all the debt's been eradicated. So in the next distribution, it all comes out to you as a shareholder. And that's a glorious day. I've been, I've been there. That was my own method to eradicating my own debt. I had $75,000 of personal debt that I used a system to eradicate and 300,000 of business debt I used a system to eradicate. That's huge. And I like what you just touched on there. Remember a little while ago, we were talking about this is the same stuff we teach our kids. You take it up to the next level as this is kind of how you run your household. And here we are, we're taking those same exact principles when you've got that extra bucket, you pull, you push down all that debt as much as you can to pay it off. So again, it's just really taking really common sense principles and applying them on a more macro level to help you grow and, and, and help propel you forward. So I'm, I'm curious, um, all that said, how are you, how, what's your opinion on uh, retirement accounts and for savings for business owners, like through 401, uh, 401ks, IRAs, and so on and so forth? Where does that fit yeah. in? What's your take? Do it, please, please do it. Max them out if you can. You know, what happens is our lifestyle inherently will adjust to our net income, at least for most of us. I think it's it's pretty much human nature not to be effective savers. And the reason, I think, is because of Parkinson's law. Parkinson's study of human behavior knows that as a resource expands its availability, we consume more. More time I'm given to complete a project, it will take me longer to complete a project. The more money I earn, the more I'll spend. So my lifestyle will very quickly ratchet up to my income. Therefore, similar to Profit First, we need to intercept how much take-home I'm taking, um, take the, the profit out first, if you will, the retirement components first, so my lifestyle will go to the, the cap of, uh, of what's coming in at a net basis. So I just encourage, I, I have a 401k for one of my businesses here. I max out every single year. We have a set for another one of our businesses, max out every year. I have an individual retirement 
plan I'm working on, max out every year. All those things come out first. So when I get money, take home, those elements come off first, and then the net income goes into my own personal income account, and then we allocate that using, interesting, interestingly, the profit-first system again. We allocate it out and uh, live off of profit-first, but the home version, if you will. Uh, that, awesome. that, that's great. Yeah, it reminds me when I got out of college and I had student loan debt, and I set it up so that every two weeks when I got my paycheck – my student loan payment came right out of my paycheck. I never saw yeah, it, smart. never thought about it. And I remember yep. it was six or seven or eight years later that one day my paycheck went up by like $300, which back when, when, when I was a kid, that was a lot of money. And, yeah. and so I remember at the time thinking, oh my God, I've got this windfall. And I was very lucky. I had some a friend of mine at the time who said to me, you've gotten along for the last five, six, seven years without this $300 every two weeks. Why do you need it now? Take it and have it automatically deducted and put in a savings account so somewhere. Smart. And, so I, and smart. I did that. And it was actually the thing that got me to start thinking about money differently in my mid-20s. So it, it, it's, it's just another example of that whole out of sight, out of mind uh, Parkinson's principle that is, yep. is just so, so strong. Okay. Yep. We have a final segment of the show that we call four more. Before we get that, before we get to that final segment, I do want to ask. One more quick question. I I kind of put it out to my social network yesterday. Um, we're talking to to Mike Michalowicz. Um, what would you ask if you could ask? And by far the biggest question was, what's on the horizon? What are the next book or books coming out? So can you tell us a little bit about, oh, cool. about, about what's next? Because I'm excited too. I, I Honestly, I, I just want to know what the next book is. I'm ready to read it. I thought the question might be, why the hell did Mike grow a beard? <laughs> um, <laughs> that's what I was expecting. Um so, but I'll, I'll do the book one. So the, the book, the next book is coming out in April, 2020. So uh, still a little ways out, but I, I've finished the entire book. I, I, I submitted it to my publisher and now it just goes, it's a big publisher and they just go through their machination. So it'll still take a while. The book title is called Fix This Next. And I, I believe this may be my pinnacle work. I I believe it's the most important concept I've ever developed, even, even greater than Profit First. And I'm so blessed by its popularity. I believe that the thesis of this book is I believe that the biggest challenge entrepreneurs have is they don't know what their biggest challenge is. So there's this constant, almost panic style of, of putting out fires and uh, letting our email dicti- dictate our agenda, not our vision. So my with that thesis in place, what I did was I figured out a structure, a way for a entrepreneur to pinpoint their most vital need in their business at the moment. And, and those needs will change over time. But what's the one thing I can do in this moment that'll be the most impactful in moving my business toward that vision? So it's a it's a compass, if you will, for businesses. By reading Fix This Next, you'll pinpoint where you are, what needs to be addressed right now. And once you resolve that, it'll go through the same cycle and find the next need you need to fix and continue that on until you grow your business as quickly and deliberately toward your vision as, as possible. Awesome. I can't wait to read it. That'll be awesome. I'm psyched about this yeah, one. Yeah, it sounds like a great one. Also, why'd you grow that beard? <laughs> <laughs> so it's called Lazy. Um, <laughs> it was, we're, we're entering the winter holidays right now. And right around Christmas time last year, I, t- I took a four-week vacation. Um, it's something I wrote about in my book, Clockwork, the necessity for every business owner to disconnect fully for four consecutive weeks. So I'm on my vacation and uh, I was like, I'm not going to shave for a little bit. And then it's, the stubble appears and then it starts getting a little bit longer. My wife's like, you know, that kind of looks okay. And then once I had a full grown beard, my wife is like, 
I like that. And if my wife likes it, it stays. There you go. Happy wife. That's all it takes. Yeah. That is the best answer. Yeah. I, I started growing one a few months ago and my wife looked at me and said- Wife didn't like it. Yeah, wife did not like, like it at all. Then it goes. Yeah. Then it goes. I, I, was done. I think it was more the, where did all that gray come from? <laughs> I know. Mine's all gray. All yeah. like, what the heck happened? Yep. It's crazy. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, when I look in the mirror, I'm like, who's the old guy? I mean, it definitely is an aging Crazy, isn't thing, it? But. Yeah. Better than the alternative, as they say. Okay. Awesome. Michael, we're going to move to the part of the show we call four more, where we're going to ask you four rapid fire style questions. You're going to give us the first answer that comes to mind. And then for the more, you're just going to tell us more about where we can connect with you and learn more about everything about Mike. Okay. Okay. Ready for the first one? Yeah. What was your first or your worst job ever? And what lessons did you learn from it? My, I'll tell you my first job. It wasn't the worst. I worked at a uh, dry cleaners and I was the guy who would clean the pockets before the clothing went on. And sometimes you'd find stuff you don't want to find. But other times you'd find money. Uh, Here's what I learned from that was integrity. So the rule at the dry cleaners was if you found $5 or less, you were permitted to keep the money. But the second was over $5, you had to call the owner. And so the first one I pulled, you never wanted like five and change, right? You're always hoping for singles. So I got $5 and 10 cents. And I'm like, oh, I have to call the owner. So I called the owner. And then the the owner of that, those pants said, thank you so much. Um, and said, I'm going to come in and uh, to pick it up. And they came in and they gave me another $5. I said, keep that money. It's in there. But thank you for your integrity and in sharing that. I forgot money in here. Here's another $5. And that was a realization that there's a quick, cheap, cheating the system way to make a quick buck. But there's a lot more when it comes to integrity, and sometimes you're rewarded for integrity. That's awesome. Love that. Okay. Uh, every week I ask the same second question, but I am the co-host, so I'm allowed to change the questions, and I want to change the question this time because I'm looking this, – this is something I do. I always look in the backgrounds, especially I love seeing bookshelves in the backgrounds of our guests. Oh, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm a big book fan, um, and I'm looking. I see a lot of the same books on my bookshelf as you have on yours. So I want to ask – as a business person, as an entrepreneur, and as a business author, uh, besides your books, which are all absolutely amazing, what is the best book out there that that our audience should be reading right now? All right, I'll tell you this best book, and you, you probably haven't heard of it, and it is the book you got to read. It's called Friction by a guy named Roger Dooley. Now, uh, Roger Dooley is an author of a book called Brain Fluence. A lot of these books at the top level here for me are neuroscience, behavioral type books. Uh, I fell in love with Roger Dooley's work and he just released a book friction, I think three, four months ago. What he explains is the biggest impediment to the progress of business is friction. The the more difficult it is to get something done, there's this exponential drop off of people actually completing the task. So how do you make things friction free? It's a fascinating study and a very practical how-to in reducing friction, the biggest impediment to success. Awesome. Excellent. And and, and I will mention you have my favorite book back there besides yours the goal oh you oh uh, thank god you know someone's <laughs> like oh that's a manufacturer's book that that's not a ma- that is a, that is a bible is what that is absolutely yes. the, um, whenever somebody says what's the best book we've never heard of that's the book i go to because so many people haven't read that but need to read that book oh my gosh theory of constraints yep. eli Goldratt. i i had the privilege of interviewing one of his protégés a guy named kevin fox for a full day for my book clockwork and really dug deep into uh, Eli Goldratt's work. The goal is his pinnacle book. Yeah. It's a must read. Agreed. Sorry, okay. didn't mean ah. to, to, to distract. 
Oh, I love to geek out and stuff like that. I didn't talk about Carol, <laughs> but I, like, I liked it. Okay, so Mike, what is the best piece of advice you have for small business owners that you haven't already yet mentioned today? Um, Probably to listen to wallets, not words. What's interesting is I, I used to be beholden to surveys and interviewing clients and asking what they want. I found that clients and prospects know the social rules. And if I, if you tell me, Mike, your business sucks, it's very difficult to say it to my face because it'll cause conflict. Uh, it's difficult to say in a survey because you know you might get a call from me and my customer service department. So it's better to say things are fine and not do business with me. Maybe go and yelp and slam me behind my back. So don't trust people's words nearly as much as you trust their wallets. They're speaking the truth through their actions. Measure spends. See if you get in repeat buyers. Those are people who love you. And people that are curtailing their spend or not buying from you, there is an issue going on. Okay. And question number four, I'm going to let Carol ask this one because this is her very favorite <laughs> question. And somehow we got out of order and I'm taking this, but I think Carol should ask this one. I do like this one because it just gives a lot of insight into people. So Mike, what is something along the way in either your personal or professional life that you've splurged on that was totally worth it? Oh, so I just splurged on a UTV, which Ooh. is a all-terrain vehicle or ultimate, I don't know. It's basically a ATV, but side by side. So there's a passenger next to you. And uh, I, we just took it out. We got it two weeks ago and we already broke it. So I took it out with my son. <laughs> so just to set the stage, you know, it ain't cheap. I, I, I use profit first. I pay everything I pay for cash, by the way. So it was 13,000 bucks. So I was using, uh, accumulating money for it. I waited for six cycles or six quarters to get this. So a year and a half and we buy it and I go out with my son and we just hammer on this thing. And, uh, now it's out at the shop getting repaired. I'll tell you, if they got to junk that thing and it's, it's done, it was worth every single penny for that two <laughs> hours. With my son, he was laughing. We were high-fiving. Awesome. It was the best time I spent with my son all year or in years. So a good, investment in that regard. How old is your son? I'm picturing this. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Well, he's 18. So he's off in oh, college. How fun. He, he came back for a weekend. And uh, when he came in, I said, Hey, I got a little surprise for you. Took him out back and there was sitting there and I gave him the keys and said, let's go tearing into the woods. And uh, we've oh. behind our house, we've always different trails and stuff. And we were back there for a good couple hours. I just love the joy that is emanating from you as you tell that story. Oh, it it is really heartwarming. That's really cool. It was the best. And it's electric too. So there's like no no smell, no environmental impact awesome. uh, in regards to pollution. It was just, it was just a blast. It's really cool. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. Well, that brings us to the more part of the four more. Can you tell our listeners where they can find out more about Michael Michalowicz, where they can get your books, if that's not obvious, uh, and, yeah. and where they can potentially connect with you? Sure. So the starting point that I would go to is MikeMichalowitz.com. There is a shortcut, Jay. It's MikeMotorbike.com. The reason is because no one can spell freaking Michalowicz. Um, <laughs> it's Polish. So go to MikeMotorbike at Rhymes.com, um, and you can get free chapter downloads for my books. I call them the impact chapters. It's not the fluff. It's like stuff that will get you results. You can get uh, – I'm a blogger, podcaster. I used to write for the Wall Street Journal. All that stuff's for free. Uh, if you want to pick up a book immediately – Anywhere books are sold. Amazon's probably got the best price, but you can go to Barnes and Nobles or your local bookstore and the book will be sitting there waiting for you. Uh, but to get started right now in this moment, mikemotorbike.com and click on get the tools, all the stuff I shared with you, including the free chapters, all that you'll get in an email, one single email, all to you immediately. That's awesome. Awesome. Thank you. K Carol was a, a Dombrowski, but luckily she married into, oh, she, she, married, she, married, she married into a Scott. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Awesome. Yeah, my wife went from a, a equivalent of a Scott into a McCallowitz. She went the other way. <laughs> yeah, not the easy. other way around. It's tricky. Not easy. <laughs> Mike, this was absolutely amazing. I am thrilled to have finally gotten the opportunity to chat with you. And I am looking forward to having you back when the next book comes out and the one after that and the one after that and the one after that. So I would be honored, so, Jay. And Carol, thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll chat with you next time. Absolutely. Take Thanks care. Again. Bye-bye. Bye. So, Carol. What did you think? Absolutely loved every little last thing about that episode, right? Just his whole concept of putting your different money in buckets and spending it differently is so, it's just absolutely huge. The concept of most of us go into business, we're like, we need to spend this, we need to spend this, we need to spend this, and then whatever's left, hopefully there's something left. Nope. He totally turns that idea on its head and he makes us realize you pay yourself, you generate a profit. And then if you don't have enough money left to do those other things to grow your business, get creative, get innovative, get clever and grow your business that way. It's huge. And I love his example of the Savannah Bananas. Um, right? I love that name, but it just goes to prove that this is a, this is a minor league baseball team that's probably raking in a serious amount of money. And if it can work for a business like that, it can almost certainly work for all of our businesses as well. So just some tremendous tips. And if you haven't picked up the book Profit First, I highly recommend it. And if you haven't picked up his other books, I highly recommend those as well. So, alrighty, how are we doing? We think this is, uh, we can wrap it up for the week? Let's wrap it up, baby. Alrighty, thank you everybody for tuning in this week. She's Carol, I'm Jay. So start slow and let it grow today. Ha, I just made a rhyme within a rhyme. (laughs) (laughs) I so entertain myself. Thanks, everybody. You have a great week. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. 